0: are we up here in Gainesville on Lake Lanier in this pretty awesome house you know it'd be great just to come hang out here for a weekend and you know hey maybe we can do that sometime and but uh, just for the fun of it but there, there's a bigger purpose here and I, and I hope that we've communicated that but we want to kind of lay some framework tonight just so that we see hey what are we hoping to accomplish this weekend um why are we up here you know every once in a while um when I'm feeling really good about something um, or feeling really good about our church in particular, I think, you know, I'd love to just like get a big house and a bunch of us just move in together and just, you know, wouldn't that be awesome? And and you, you may be thinking that tonight, isn't it so cool that we're all just hanging out here together and we're singing and all this stuff. And probably by Monday, we're going to be like, I'm ready to go to my house, you know, uh, you know, I love y'all, but you know, so, um, so yeah. So, So we have these times set aside to where we can spend some intense time looking at some things and focused on, uh, what it is that God has for us and what he'd want for us. So we really have two purposes going into this weekend that, that the elders have come together and said, these are some things that we want to accomplish. Um, the first is to help develop a ministry mindset among all the members of our church. Um, And so in part of that, we're going to help, we're going to ask you, what is your vision to meet the needs in the body, the church, and to spread the love of Christ in Athens and around the world? So do you have a vision for that? You know, because it's not, it can't just be on the people who are, are leading the church. And the second part of that, do you see yourself as an inventor and an organizer of ministry? Do you, is that something you see a, a, of yourself? So one, we want to develop that ministry mindset in all members. And two, we want to strive for the right spirit in our church. Um, because no matter what programs we come up with, no matter what plans that we make or what structure our church has, you know, we, we think the structure of the church is really important, but no matter what structure we have, um, unless we love each other, unless we're open to each other, um, unless we're willing to deny ourselves for the sake of other people, um, and if we're not kind to one another particularly, um, certainly to those outside of the church, but to one another, um, we, and we have to be people who follow Jesus and who obey him. If we don't have all of those things, none of the other efforts that we do will produce the type of fruit that we want to see. Because we can develop these programs and and do things with with a certain mindset or with a certain plan, but if we don't have the right motivation and the right spirit behind it, those things are never going to produce the type of fruit that we want to see. Um, So what else do we want to do this weekend? We have those two things, our ministry mindset and all members, and to strive for the right spirit. Um, So what are some other things we want to accomplish this weekend? Well, you know, we asked for your feedback uh, over the past several weeks just to help put a mirror to our church and say, hey, what are some things that we're doing well and what are some things that we maybe should be doing better? And and I really appreciate you all who gave feedback. Some of the things we're going to look at this weekend, uh, there were some other things that we're going to address uh, in the coming weeks just because we can't do everything in one weekend. But I really appreciate you all who took the time and gave really insightful uh, questions and uh, just thoughts behind it. So here's some things that we said that were our discipleship strengths and that we were pretty consistent among uh, the people who uh, gave us feedback. One, they said that the teaching content was really good. We have, something you may not know is that uh, over the past year or two, the, the elders have developed kind of a three-year plan of the types of content that we will cover on Sundays and in our house fellowships to make sure that we hit the important things that we believe that you need to know and we're going to go into that into more depth uh, tomorrow, I believe. But so we've we've done that, but we haven't really communicated that. So, but I think that's part of the reason that everybody's like, hey, you know, we really do a good job with our teaching and understanding uh, and the way we approach the word. Another thing that that a number of you said that we, we do pretty well is our emphasis on global missions, um, that the work that we do in Mexico, we do that really well. Um, we have this new work that, that is starting in Tanzania. Um, we want to do that really well. Um, and so, and we'll be talking about that some more this weekend. Uh, so that was another thing that, that you told us that, that you thought we did really well. And then another thing is the hospitality that we have toward one another, um, that those who are fully committed to our church, that there's a family atmosphere, um, You know, a lot of us spend time with each other outside of the regular church meetings, you know. Yeah, to be real honest, I don't have time or the energy for a lot of friends outside of church, um, which is good and bad um, because we need to be investing in other people. But those of you in this room are the ones that I spend most of my social time with uh, when I'm with other people. Um, And so for those who are committed to our church and who are just, you know, really in it, there's a great family atmosphere there. And we're really, that. I mean, the church is supposed to be a family. And so we're really uh, happy about that. On the other side, there's some discipleship weaknesses that were noted, uh, not just by you, but also by, by the elders. You, you know, sometimes you're telling us things, we're like, yeah, we see that. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's, it's like, yeah, we saw that one coming. Um, one area is just practical uh, accountability. Um, some of you have been invested in very heavily in your time here in our church, and that's great. There's others who have slipped through the cracks, and that, that can't be a characteristic of our church. We, we don't need to let anyone slip through the cracks. Um, so we want to make sure that every child, woman, and man is pastored and discipled uh, to the best of our ability in the time that they're with our church. Um, the other thing that, that we really see a need for uh, improvement on is our local missions and training uh, training and opportunities, um, especially over the past year or so. Some of the things that we normally did as part of our local outreach have kind of fallen off, and uh, we've seen the effects of that. Um, hopefully, I won't get in trouble for sharing this. In 2013, we baptized 13 people and had uh, several more profess faith. This past year, we baptized one. If there's something we're supposed to be about, it's sharing the gospel with people. And one of the visible representations of that is professions of faith and baptism. So we have to, we have to renew our focus to that. Um, and the third thing that we, we saw as an area that we needed some improvement on is, again, back to the hospitality and follow-up of people who maybe come for the first time or are kind of on the fringe you know, we see them every once in a while and we're like, hey, what's the story with so-and-so? I saw him and then I didn't. You know, who's going to go talk to that person to see what's going on? So that's something we need to do a better job with. And we're going to talk about all those things this weekend um, because the, the four of us don't have all the answers. Um, and we need all of us, and it has to be all of us doing it. It can't just be uh, one or two of us. So in addition to addressing these things that I just talked about, we're also going to work toward a better, uh, future for, uh, in the area of our childcare, we have more and more kids coming and that's awesome. We want to make sure that we're taking care of them in the best way that we can. Um, we're also going to make, uh, some preparations for our continued work in Mexico and what's going on with in Tanzania this year, the push for Tanzania is fundraising. Um, but in the future, there's probably going to be other opportunities. So we need to be making some plans for that. And uh, there's got to be a school for us to go and minister to. So that's what our what our goals are, uh, particularly fundraising this year. So this weekend, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we'll get started uh, looking at that. John chapter 15, uh, Jesus describes three relationships that... Uh, believers have. The first relationship is with him, with Jesus. The second relationship is with each other, and that third relationship is with the world. So those are the three relationships that we're going to look at uh, in our big teaching times here. So John chapter 15, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with other believers, and our relationship with the world. So starting at John chapter fifteen, verse one, I'll start reading there. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it, so it may so it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be with you, and that your joy may be made full. We'll stop there for tonight. But so this relationship with Jesus is the key characteristic of the church. The church is a group of people who have a relationship with Jesus, have an individual connection to Jesus. That's what we all have in common. Um, It's the defining characteristic of the church because Hey, we could just be a group of people who want to hang out this weekend or who just get together a few times a week and, you know, sing some songs and have fun, you know, and enjoy each other's company. But Jesus is the key characteristic. Without him, we're just a social club. Um, And and you hear probably the most, and I even said it probably just a second ago, the most common way that this is described is the personal relationship with Jesus. Um, That's really not a biblical phrase. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. Um, it's correct but Jesus describes following him in a lot of different ways he he describes that relationship as we're sheep he's the shepherd which means he protects us and he cares for us and that we as sheep are not very smart sometimes Um, people wanted to follow him and he said sell all that you have give it to the poor and follow me Somebody said, let me bury my my father that passed away. He said, let the dead bury their own. And then he said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He even says that you are to hate your own family and your own life to follow him. That's pretty intense. That's not the personal relationship with Jesus that we often have in mind. There's a cost to it. And Peter even says, see, we have left everything and followed you. And he said, yeah, you have, and you're going to be rewarded for that. So don't think that the barrier to entry, it's free, but it will cost you everything to follow Jesus. So he uses all these different ways to describe that relationship. But then what we're going to look at tonight, or what I just read, was this parable or this analogy of the vine and the branches. Um, growing grapes is, was really common there. Actually, and it's, not, it's pretty common around here. I think there's like 8 or 10, 12 different vineyards within an hour of where we are. Um, you know, if I'd been really ambitious, I would have gone over there and took some pictures or something. But it's not really the best time to go visit a vineyard, I guess. Not, not that I know anything about wine um, but uh, or growing grapes. But, um, so it's, but it was a really common thing. Wine was a very common uh, drink for them. Uh, and it's even uh, the the vine was the uh, symbol of Israel, and, and it's even possible that they would see this symbol in gold and on the front of the temple. Um, and it was the national emblem. And even Isaiah uh, chapter five refers to Israel as the vine. So this vine terminology and uh, illustration was was familiar to them. So let's look. Let's go back to John fifteen and walk through this together. <coughs> He says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So he says true vine. If, he's not, if you're not connected to the true vine, um, you won't get the right kind of fruit. But it also gives this idea that uh, there may be other vines. There may be false vines that we could be connected to. Because if there's a true one, that means that there's false ones as well. And he says, unless someone is actually and vitally connected to Jesus, the quality of his fruitfulness will be unacceptable. There may be many branches, but to bear the right kind of fruit, you must be part of the real vine. And it says, God the Father is a skillful gardener. He tends to his his crop. He waters it. He protects it. He cultivates it so that the vine can produce the maximum amount of fruit, the best quality, the most of it. Let's go on to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. So pruning is is required uh, when you're... uh, to increase the fruit bearing of the uh, of the vines and of the plants even if with other plants you know if you want it to flower and to grow thick you have to prune it Um, you have to remove the dead wood and then you have to trim the live wood to make it uh, grow better Um, and this idea of pruning has this idea of cleansing and purifying Um, because dead wood on a on a plant is can bring about decay and just and can really ruin the plant um, and really reduce its uh, fruitfulness. Uh, and an untrimmed vine, if you just let it grow wild, it's, it'll just grow all over the place. And it will spend all of its energy and all of its resources growing out further and further instead of producing fruit. So both the taking away of the dead wood and the trimming of the live wood is important. This is a picture of how God deals with human life uh, he removes or cleans the dead wood from his church and disciplines the life of the believer to move it toward fruitful activity that can be kind of hard to hear but that's the way he he works with us and that he treats us in verse 3 you are already clean because of the word which i've spoken to you now if you remember back in john chapter 13 we have the scene of the foot washing, you know, and and Jesus goes to wash his feet, and of course they're like, "No, you can't, you know, wash my feet." And he says, "Well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me." And he's like, "Well, wash my whole body then, you know, uh, you know, typical Peter, you know, take it from one extreme to another." Um, but and he says, "No, you're already clean," and he doesn't mean when he says clean, he doesn't mean perfect, but he says if you're sincerely or devoted to Him. Then, as a vine to a branch, you are n- united to him. and back in chapter 13, he he really targets Judas, and so Judas, as we can see here, is the example of someone that may have been superficially connected to Jesus, but was not truly connected to him. He was the dead wood that had to be cut out, even among the closest people to Jesus. And how does this happen? It happens through the word of God. It's what we see in verse 3. It says, uh, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Um, the word of God condemns sin. It inspires holiness and promotes growth. And as they heard Jesus' words, they aren't, they underwent a pruning process. The true followers underwent a pruning process that removed uh, the evil That was there and made them better able to serve Him. And we're, uh, and I'll mention a little bit later tonight, but also tomorrow morning, we're going to take some time to encourage you to really reflect on God's Word. And are there things that God is trying to prune from your life? And so we'll we'll give you a little bit of direction for that uh, a little bit later. Verse four abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me so to continue to produce fruit depends on that constant union with the one true vine the source of fruitfulness if a branch is cut from the vine it may still look alive for a while but it will never produce fruit because it's disconnected from the source it can't uh, do what it's supposed to do. Um, so we as believers have to stay connected to Jesus. We have to stay uh, in his word. We have to stay in prayer. Um, and we have to constantly be receiving from him those streams of living water because apart apart from him, we can't produce any of the things that that he would see as fruit. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He Who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruit fruit is not just something that might happen for a believer. It's what will happen. It's what should happen. It's the normal condition for a believer to produce fruit. Um, Now, we're not promised that You know, your fruit is going to look the same as mine because we're different people. We have different giftings. We have different uh, abilities. But we're still going to be producing fruit. Um, And here's the cool thing that I thought about this. It, it It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. Christ abides in us, you know. It's not, it's, it's not that we're out, we have to do it on our own. You know, we're connected to him. He's a, he abides in us uh, as well. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gathered them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So the failure to maintain that connection brings about his own penalty, rejection and uselessness that without that connection to Christ, we're, for his purposes, useless. He, he didn't leave any place for any of us to be fruitless. You know, if we're not producing fruit for him, then th- there, there's not really a place for that. Um, fruitfulness is normal for believers. Um, and an absolutely fruitless life is evidence that one was never a believer to begin with. So you might be thinking, well, okay, well, that, that's a little intense. So does this mean that someone, a genuine believer can, uh, you know, through their life become unfruitful and because of that fruitlessness, you know, lose their salvation? Are they, you know, are they, can that happen? Well, if you look back at John chapter 10, uh, Jesus said that those who he gives eternal life shall never perish. And again, he says when Jesus, uh, says the fruitless branches will be cast out or thrown away in in verse 6 he's already used almost the same exact phrase in John chapter 6 verse uh, 37 when he says all that the Father gives me shall come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out so Jesus didn't forget what he had just said a little bit earlier and John didn't misunderstand what Jesus said when he was writing this down so uh, we can't we can't use this to try to say, oh, well, you're a believer, you're a true believer, but then over time you become not a true believer and you lose your salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, he's saying that, you know, as I just said, if there's no fruit, then you weren't a true believer to begin with, or the person was not a true believer to begin with. Uh, And we've looked at this in several other passages of Scripture. I remember like when we went through Hebrews, we had some of these same questions. So uh, that's not something that that you should be worried about. But if your life is not producing fruit, you need to figure out why. Um, So verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Oh, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Ask whatever I wish. (laughs) well, we're in a pretty nice house. Um, could I start there? And so um, that, that's not what he's talking about here. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, okay, whatever that means is pretty powerful, all right? So if we're connected to Jesus through obedience to him, through prayer, um, you know, being in his word and I have a hard time memorizing things you know, just rote memorization. But if we have his word in our hearts and in our minds, we're consciously accepting his authority. Our will will be more and more in line with his. So when we pray, we're not praying for things that benefit us. We're praying for the things that God wants. And when we pray in accordance to his will, um, that's when this comes true. Anything that we'd ask of him uh, uh, will be done. Um, It's not every little thing that we want. Um, It's like, you know, hey, I'd really like to own this house or um, I really would like to get a new car or that job or something like that. Those are things we can pray for and, you know, but if, those things really pale in comparison to the things of God where you have someone whose salvation you're praying for. Um, you're, you're praying for justice for for people who God has promised justice for. Um, those things uh, are praying in accordance to God's will. It may not happen as quickly as we want it to, um, but those are the things we sh- can be praying for in confidence. Verse 8 my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The proof of our discipleship is bearing fruit. Um, Matthew seven 20 says by their, uh, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That should be the thing that people who are not even believers recognize about us that, Hey, I don't know what's going on there, but there's really good things going on with that church. You know, we we need to see what that is. Um, And so, But if you see a church or a believer who's producing no fruit, that really calls a lot of things into question. Let's look at these last few verses here, starting at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, love unites the disciples of Jesus uh, to Christ, the the disciples of Jesus to Christ as branches to a vine. Obedience and joy are the result, and obedience produces uh, fruitfulness, and joy is the result. Um, And joy is not necessarily happiness. There's a difference. Um, Maybe wrong to quote Bob Dylan in a case like this, but he made this comment years ago that, you know, happy is a yuppie word. It's, are you blessed? Because there's a difference. Because happy can be temporary and uh, fleeting. Joy is permanent. It's that thing that even when things are bad, you're all right. Um, So, but at the same time, Jesus wants his disciples' life to be spontaneous, uh, to be joyful. He doesn't want us to be burdensome and just and just weighed down by, by life and, and boring. Um, that's not what he wants for us. That's not the life that he has planned for us. Um, so if he says he wants that his joy would be made full in us, That sounds pretty good. You know, I want God's joy because God's joy is much better than mine. God's joy is better in my happiness. And so that's what I want. I want his joy to be made full in me. And that comes from being connected to the vine. Now, if, if you're not a believer, you're that dead wood. And he cast that out. Now, the cool thing about God is he can make dead wood alive again. So that opportunity's there. But for those of us who are, are believers, there may be some pruning that needs to go on. And pruning is, you know, plants, I guess, don't really feel pain, but we do. Hmm. So if you start pruning on us, we feel it. And it's not always that enjoyable. Um, but there may be some pruning that needs to go on. Uh, Tim Keller gave this fictional account of a first century Christian and his Roman neighbor. uh, The Roman neighbor says, oh, you're a Christian. That's great. I love religion, all the pageantry. That's really wonderful. Where's your temple? And the Christian would have said, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. He has fulfilled it. He's the final temple. We don't need temples anymore. The neighbor would have said, Well, you have no temple? Where do your priests operate? Well, we don't have any priest. Jesus is our priest. He's the final priest. He has put priests out of business. We don't need any mediator. He is the mediator. So no temple, no priest. Where do you do your rituals? You know, the things that make you acceptable to God. He's like Jesus is our sacrifice, so we don't have any more sacrifices. Finally, the neighbor says, what kind of religion is this? The Christian would have said, it's no kind of religion at all. Because we don't, we didn't get a religion. We got a person. We don't have a God so high up there. We need a religion to sort of get in connection with him. You know, come in, God, come in. He came to us. He died for us. He came into our midst. And now we don't have a religion. We have a person. That's the person, that's Jesus, that's the vine we're to be connected to. That's why we can meet here, and He's just as much here as when we're in the basement, or if we were in a beautiful, ornate church building, or if we were up on a mountaintop, you know, where a lot of times we feel closer to God. We don't have a set place because Jesus is the person that we're to be connected to. Now, I mentioned that there may be some pruning that needs to go in, go on in our lives. Um, and if we're trying to grow some new fruit and there's still this stuff that's sapping all of our energy because of whatever, uh, we're not going to have a very good time of growing new fruit. Um, so what I want to... We're not going to necessarily read it tonight, but tomorrow morning, maybe when you have your your time of devotion um, go to Psalm 51 let that be your devotion in the morning Um, read through it or maybe even tonight if if you're a person who prefers to do your devotions at night do it tonight before you go to bed look at Psalm 51 Um, David wrote that when he was uh, well he was caught basically he was caught committing a pretty heinous sin And uh, a lot of times we can ignore our sin until somebody catches us in it. Um, Maybe try to deal with it before you get embarrassed by it too much. Um, But read through this. Let it guide your your time of prayer and your um, your devotion. And if there's pruning that needs to happen for you to start producing the fruit, because if it's affecting you, it's affecting the whole church. And hey, our church may have some things that needs to get pruned at the when it deals with all of us. If that needs to happen, let's be open to it and let's do it.